We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Thank you for those songs. He is worthy. He is worthy. We serve a wonderful, wonderful Savior. And um, we're here tonight to tell him so. We're here tonight to read his word. And we're here tonight to, to honor him and what he has done for us in our lives. I want you to think about, before I uh, jump into this text, I want you to think about your testimony. Your testimony. Yours is unique. It is where God started uh, before the world began. And if you're a believer here tonight, he wrote your name in the Lamb's Book of Life before he created anything. The moment you were born into this world, God ordained that. He knew where you would be. He knows your name before your parents ever named you. He knew the things you would go through in your life as you start to grow as a child. And in the struggles that you go through, he was with you through every one of those things. Some of the struggles and the crisis we face in our life are part of the pallet that we looked at last week. Pick up your pallet and go. He told him to carry that with you. And that man had a testimony when somebody asked him, what are you carrying that pallet for? Well, let me tell you, I was crippled, but I'm not anymore. And you and I have a testimony carrying a pallet but you have a testimony here tonight that is unique, and, and you are so valuable to the church. You are valuable to the kingdom of God in the world. No matter what age, what gender, where you've come from, your message is very valuable. Somebody needs to hear it. We're going to look at a man here tonight, and oftentimes in the scripture, we've seen that in the gospel of Luke already, where Jesus healed someone, and he said, I don't want you to go tell anybody. We looked at the fact that that was timing. Jesus said, it's not my time yet. All through the gospel of John, it's not my time yet. It's not my time. And then finally, Jesus said, it's time. And that was when he was going willingly to give his life at Calvary. We, we look at many times where he said, I don't want you to go tell anyone, but it's going to be different tonight because this man has such a tremendous testimony. Jesus is going to tell him, I want you to go tell. And let's look at the difference of that. Um, this is a little bit different. We've looked at some healings of uh, when, when uh, uh, Jordan preached to us. He talked about the Lord healing someone with leprosy. And we've looked at uh, different healings. We looked at some raisings from the dead where, where Jesus raised people from the dead. We looked at some of the wonders. Remember, wonders, signs, miracles, and works. Different words used through the scripture for mighty miracles and, and workings that, that only God can do. Nicodemus said to Jesus, we know you're from God because no man can do the works that you do except you be from God. Miracles, signs, wonders, and works. Um, and we saw some uh, feeding of the 5,000 type miracles, wondrous miracles that are widespread. Tonight, we're going to look at a different one. We're going to look at Jesus, the, the God of heaven that has power over the demons, over the devil, over the enemy. I believe possibly one of the most misunderstood things that we don't talk about very much, but Jesus did, is Satan and the enemy. His crew, the fallen angels that are called demons. There's some the Bible teaches us already in chains, but there's some loosed here on the earth. What does it mean that the Bible says that, the, that Satan is the God of this world, God little g? Uh, what power does he have and what power does he not have? I think I think that that's a teaching that we don't teach enough about. Did you know Jesus talked more in the New Testament about hell than he did heaven? We don't know very much about heaven, do we? We get kind of glimpses and photographs. But you don't have to, if you're a Christian here tonight, you don't have to be afraid of the enemy. 
He is a defeated foe. And Jesus defeated him for himself. He defeated him for us and for the church. If you don't know Jesus here tonight, this passage ought to scare you to death. And I pray it does make you fear enough to call upon that name. Jesus is in this place where two or three are gathered together. He promised I'll be right there with you. So I'm expecting something good to happen as we study this passage. Gospel of Luke. I call this get your mind right. Our senior pastor, of course, he loves, he did it again this morning. He loves cool hand Luke. Now, all of you that are under about 40, you need to go watch that movie. As he said, uh, I think during the men's conference and maybe alluded to it this morning too. And I just entitled it, Get Your Mind Right. Did you ever, did your parents ever say that to you? You got a bad way of thinking. You need to change the way you're thinking. Well, everybody's doing it. You need to change the way you're thinking because you're not everybody. You're, everybody's not my child. And, but I want you to, we're going to take an honest look about the state that this man was in. Look with me in verse 26. And they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes. There's nothing special about that word. It's just Galilee's here and the Gerasene uh, place was over here. And when he came out in, in, onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons. In the 1970s, uh, it got popular for a little while that movies started talking about the occult, started talking about Satan, and we had movies like The Exorcist, and we had movies that, that delved uh, and dived into some of those topics, and they were... Hollywood made them very graphic, and uh, there were things that you shouldn't even think about or, or study. One of the points I want to make tonight is you don't have to study the bad to know the good. FBI counterfeiter uh, people that are trained in counterfeit, the way they study to find counterfeit money, to find counterfeit uh, things in our world, they say all we do is we study the real. And if you know the real, you can identify the false. You and I don't have to go study the occult. We don't have to study about the power that it is allowed uh, Satan to have. We've got to study about Jesus, and he'll be the one to take care of the enemy for us. But I want you to notice the word possessed. We've heard a lot about that. Well, they're just possessed by the devil. I hear that in the church today, though, sometimes, where people say, the devil's really, really in them. That's the devil in them. That's not this Christian uh, brother or sister. That's the devil in them. I want to share with you something that you probably know, but... The devil cannot possess a Christian. Jesus is the strong man that has bound him and thrown him out of a Christian's heart. You remember Mary Magdalene? She had seven demons, seven devils. Can you imagine what that's like? Can you imagine being related to Mary and all of a sudden you see her do something very strange, probably physical and emotional, and you think, Oh, she must be sick or something must be wrong. That's my sister. Uh, what's the matter with Mary? And as you go a little bit further, she doesn't take care of herself anymore and she doesn't eat properly and she doesn't dress and, and clean up. And all of a sudden she has very strange activity. She didn't have that as a little girl. Nice little Mary all of a sudden has changed. And then pretty soon you see emotional outbursts. You see you see uh, behavior that is unwholesome and unclean. And can you imagine somebody related to Mary Magdalene when she was fully possessed by seven devils? Because we're going to see in this passage, the devil doesn't want to do anything but destroy 
and kill. He wants to maim and hurt, steal everything that's good away from you and stop God's purpose in a person's life. <coughs> Excuse me. This week as I thought about this passage and even when I was sitting right over there before I got up here, I thought, what if my wife gave me a call, texted me here before I even got up here. Hey, I got to talk to you. Somebody in our family, uh, you can't believe what happened. It looked like they had a seizure or it looked like something else had happened. And we don't know what, we've taken them to the hospital. They can't find anything wrong when they're really strange acting. And what would my heart feel like? What would your heart feel like if you got that text here tonight? So I want you to look at this really in fact that it could be in our families. It could be people that we know. In fact, I have been where some of this is taking place. Now, I mentioned to you a while ago, the demon can't possess a Christian, but can a demon oppress a Christian? That's different. Demon can't come and make his residence inside of our heart if Christ is there. The Holy Spirit will dispel him. But can we have demonic influences around us? Can we have anti-Christ influences, people and thoughts and actions uh, I was standing one time on the, the Mount of Olives where Jesus is going to come back there in Jerusalem. And I believe very literally I was in the presence of some oppression, some demonic activity. Why wouldn't there be there? That's where Jesus walked. And why wouldn't there be? Because they don't want Jesus to come back. But here we come upon a man. He was met from the city. He was possessed with demons. The word possessed, if you look it up, means owned. It means they owned him. It would be like the demons say, I got you. I'm in control of you. And that's what it means to be possessed. It says, and what do the demons do? It said, who had not put on any clothing for a long time. When a demon comes into somebody's life, they alter their lifestyle to the things that are not normal. Now, since the Garden of Eden, God's been uh, telling us to wear clothes. He made some fig leaves for Adam and Eve, and he had never told us to stop doing that. Uh, there, there's a lot of influence around the world that, that has stopped doing that, though, isn't there? Here we see that's the influence of Satan himself. This man didn't worry about wearing clothes anymore. He had an unnormal, abnormal, perverted activity, and that's what Satan does. He doesn't want you to be wholesome. He doesn't want you to be decent. Satan wants things indecent and unwholesome. So this man, he wouldn't put on clothing for a long time. He uh, was not living in a house. That again is altered behavior. It's normal to try to live in a house. But when the demons had a hold of this man, they want to do things different. They don't want to be normal. They don't want to be wholesome. And just so picture this guy, he hadn't bathed probably in a long time. He doesn't wear clothes. He doesn't live in a house. And where does he live? It's interesting. It said, but he didn't live in a house, but he lived in the tombs. Why do you think he lived in tombs? Because that's what Satan's all about, death. Where dead is. I don't know about you, but I grew up in the country and you have to deal with a lot of animals from time to time. And, and a lot of times you can tell an animal has died before you get there. You know, some of the ways, I'm not going to be too graphic here tonight, but sometimes you can smell the experience of a dead animal before you get there. Sometimes you can look up and you see 
buzzards circling and because they are birds of prey and they, they feast upon that. You can tell when animals die. And it's sad when it's an animal you've cared for it and uh, it has a good purpose. But the devil likes death. That's his game plan. That's his ultimate goal. He may try to offer somebody power or fame or gratification of something in their flesh. He, he may wave that carrot in front of them. If you'll come and serve me, he did it to Jesus, didn't he? If you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Uh, there's just one problem. Jesus already is master of all the kingdoms of the world. But this man lived in the tombs. He lived where dead people lived. And that's what Satan wants for anyone that he can have any influence over. Unwholesome, abnormal, perverted, anything that has to do with stealing, killing, and destroying death. He wants people to rebel, resist what is right. The enemy's reward is death in every way. It'll kill relationships. It'll kill your physical body. It'll kill your emotions. It will kill your spiritual state that God wants you to have, and it'll eventually kill you in every way. But something happens. And this is where the passage gets so good. Because if that was the sad state of that man and there was never any hope or help for him, picture that if that was somebody you were related to. What would it be like to go try to visit him? Well, I'm going to go out there to the tombs and try to find this guy. I grew up with him. He's my brother. But he may hurt me or I'm afraid to a little bit. I wish he'd let us help him, but I'll take him some food, but he probably won't even eat it. And wouldn't that be a torment on his family? Wouldn't it be a torment on his parents? Can you imagine parents seeing the state of their child, grown man in that situation? But in verse 28, it says, seeing Jesus. Now, the Bible teaches us there are really no coincidences. The steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord. He knows where we're going. He knows our step. The psalmist said, before I have a thought in my mind, O Lord, you know that thought. When I wake up in the morning, you know that. When I go to sleep at night, you know that. And so God knows everything about us. And oftentimes here in the New Testament, we see God-ordained appointments. Now, where would we pick today? We would pick a big football stadium, and we would want hundreds and hundreds of people. Can we do something else? We would want hundreds and hundreds of people that uh, could come and hear the message. Oh, that's not big stuff. We do big stuff, especially here in Texas, right? We got to be bigger and better than everybody else. So we want a big auditorium with a big crowd and a lot of people. But Jesus is going to deal with one man. One man. Aren't you glad that he loves you? If there was nobody else in the room here tonight, he still loves you. If there was nobody else in the church, he still loves you. If there was nobody else on the earth, he still would have come and died for you on the cross. Now that's pretty good. That's a good savior right there. Seeing Jesus in the midst of all that the devil could do, he couldn't stop this possessed man from seeing the Son of God. Seeing Jesus, he, 
cried out and fell before him. I thought about that also. Did this man, perhaps some of you have some family members that are dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's. Raise your hand. Do you have some people that you are ministering to? You have somebody in your family that has Alzheimer's and dementia? You know, one of the hardest things about that is the times that they are lucid. The times when they know what's going on and they ask you, am I getting forgetful? What's going on with me? And then all of a sudden they might go right back into that where they don't know where they are. Can you imagine this man? Did he have times when he thought, what happened to my arms and my legs and where are my clothes and why am I out here in these grave tombs and oh, what is the matter with me? And then all of a sudden, the influence and the power that those demons would take over. But he saw Jesus and something caused him to cry out and he fell before him. Now, we're going to find out that this is the demon that's going to speak through him. It's very important for me to realize what I just read. The demon didn't jump up and say, Jesus, I'm glad you're here. Let's just fight. We act like wrongfully that Satan and God are in a tug of war and Satan wins sometimes and God wins sometimes and they are equal. Did you know that Satan cannot even do anything without permission from God? Have you read the book of Job lately? He had to have permission from God to do anything. Satan is not in a tug of war against God. He's a defeated foe. All God has to do is to stop him with the word of his mouth or the thought of his, of his mind. We, we give way too much credit to the devil. I hear people saying, the devil's really bothering me today. I want to say, really? The devil is not omnipresent. So he's picking on you out of 7 billion people in the world? You must be something. Now, are there a lot of demons? There are. We don't know how many. A third of them, most likely, are already in chains, waiting judgment. The rest of them know judgment's coming. But it's not a tug of war. Satan, uh, you know, we see, you see, see those commercials all the time. We've got a little devil on one shoulder and an angel. On another. That's not the way it is. Satan will try everything that he can do. And the reason why we saw so much activity in the scripture with demonic activity and all of the people that were possessed and everything, because I think he threw everything he had to try to stop Jesus from going to the cross. But all Jesus had to do, even if the weakest a physical body could be, was say, it is written, thou shalt, not, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shall you serve. It is written, that shall not tempt the Lord your God. So he defeated him then and he's still defeating him now. But in this case, the demons see Jesus, they cry out, and they fell down before him. What uh, we, we heard this morning, if you were in, in services this morning, and Tommy said, how many knee or, knees are going to bow one day? Every knee is going to bow one day before Jesus. How many People are going to confess that he's the Lord, everybody, and even the demons. Do the demons believe in Jesus? James says they do. You say you believe. James is preaching to the people of his day. Well, so what? The demons do, and they tremble because they know. In fact, it doesn't say it in this passage, but in other places, in other gospels, when a demon is allowed to speak out to Jesus, Oftentimes, they acknowledge who he is, the Holy One of Israel, O Son of the Most High God. 
Have you come to torment us before the time? They know where they're headed. They know judgment day is coming. So when he sees Jesus and these demons inside this man, they cry out. And and guys, I want to tell you, that was probably a blood-curdling scream. Can you even imagine what that was like? A crying out and they fell down before him. They're going to fall down before him again too. And said in a loud voice, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? They know who he is. I beg you, do not torment me. So the demons don't tell Jesus what to do, do they? No, it's the other way around. Jesus tells the devil and his crew, what they're going to do. Have you come to torment us? They know that's where they're headed. In the beginning, when Satan rebelled against God, Jesus said, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. He rebelled and wanted to be God. He lifted himself up in pride, and he wanted to take the place of God. Some of the angels at that period of time had, were given a certain measure of will, and some of them went with Satan, and they, they wanted to follow him, and the rest of them stayed with God. I don't believe they're going back and forth anymore. I believe that their destinies are set. And here we see that the demons cry out, I beg you, do not torment me. Are they acknowledging he could? Jesus could have whipped them every way with just the thought. Jude 6 is the one that tells us, read, listen to this verse. And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he is kept in eternal bonds, chains, under darkness for the judgment of the great day. They know some are already chained up and some are loosed here in the earth. Satan himself is going to be chained for, uh, for a thousand years during the millennium. And Jesus is going to reign here on this earth the way it's supposed to be. And then he'll be loosed for a little while before the final events of the end of time. So verse 29, for he, Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit. So what is a demon? It is a spirit, but it's an unclean spirit, often called that. He had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of man. And I just want to reiterate the fact that Jesus commands the demons. The demons don't command Jesus. Jesus commands the demons on our behalf too. And I'm so glad. We don't have to tell the demons what to do. Jesus sent out 70 one time. And he sent them out two by two to go minister and to heal the sick and raise the dead and do mighty miracles. And they came back and they were, they were just rejoicing. They were having a big time. Hey, Jesus, even the demons are subject unto us. And Jesus said, stop. Stop what you're doing. You don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. You got something more important to rejoice. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's some people that get caught up in, I truly believe, uh, they talk to the devil more than they do to Jesus. I've never had to do that in my life. I do believe I have had oppression. I've been in the presence where there was demonic activity. I've told you about some of those stories. I could tell you some more. Uh, but I've never, ever had to do anything but turn and say, Jesus, would you deliver me? Would you help me? Would you run the enemy off? He's never failed to do that. Here, he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. 
And now we're going to see what this man faced during his life. You know, sometimes, any of you had a hard day lately? Some of our ladies went on a mission trip to Greece. And unfortunately, some of them got sick and we're praying for them. They didn't feel well on that trip. And it's not fun to travel. It's not fun for a long flight like that anyway, but certainly not when you're feeling well. But they went there to minister to young people that have been human trafficked. They even found a group of people that that the ladies, Rachel and the ladies ministry would have to tell you, that, that they didn't even know existed, that are treated like animals, bought and sold. And one of the things Rachel was reported to say, and I, I talked to her through text and prayed for her and hope she's doing better, but she said, I thought that I had some hard days in my life until I saw what these people went through. I've never had a hard day like they have. Let's look at this man's day. Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of him, for it had seized him many times. That word's where we get the word seizure, a seizure. I remember one of the first times I saw one have an have a epileptic seizure. It was very, very frightening. Uh, I was also one time with a man in a building like this with a cement floor. He fell down on the ground, turned white as a sheet, and I reached down there to try to grab him and help him, and he was... He was actually choking at that time. Another man in the same spot, in the same building, one time did the same thing. He just passed out and had some type of a seizure. He turned as white as copy paper, and both of those men lived. Seizures. Maybe you have problems with that. Epilepsy is a terrible disease, and many people suffer from those kind of things. But this is a different kind of seizure. This is one initiated by the power of Satan. It seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. This man was a detriment. He was a, a, a fearful he, to hurt himself or to hurt other people. So a lot of times authorities had to chain him up. But notice what it says. And yet he would break his bonds. What does that tell us? Sometimes a demon can give humans extra power power to do things they could not do on their own. He would break the chains and be driven by the demon into the desert. What's a desert? It's a place of death. There's no water. There's nothing to eat. It's a desolate place. And I just, again, I I think, what kind of torture did this man face every day? I know this isn't a real warm and fuzzy kind of message here tonight. But I want us to really grasp, because when I get to feeling like, you know, I'm tired or this didn't work out the way I hoped it to, and somebody did this to me, and I really feel like, you know, it hadn't been a very good day. Wow. How it changes my perspective when I think about someone like this. What does mama think? What does daddy think? What does brothers, sisters think? What do the people he grew up with think? I wish I could do something for this man. So he, gave, he was given power to break his chains and bonds. He was driven by the demon into the desert. But Jesus asked him, and Jesus asked him, what's your name? Who can tell me what happens when people ask the name of an angel in the Bible? Do all the angels just tell you, hey, I'm, I am Clarence Oddbody. I am 
A135, whatever it is from uh, It's a Wonderful Life. They don't tell you your name, do they? In fact, they've been asked, what is your name? And many of those angels would say, why do you ask my name? It's not important. You worship God. They always point people back to Jesus. But in this instance, Jesus says, what is your name, this demon that is talking? And he said, Legion. In the Roman army, now I'm thinking if Mary Magdalene had seven demons. I can't imagine what that would be like. When this man uses the word legion, that was the word used for a legion in the Roman army. You know how many were in a legion of a Roman army? Between 3,000 and 6,000. So when he said legion, how many demons did he have inside of this one? You think Satan wanted him? He wanted that guy. We don't know how many demons were there, but when he used the word legion, it corresponds with thousands. It says in verse 31, they were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss, the pit, show death. They don't want to stop what they're doing. They don't want to be sent to torment already. And the demons are just crying out, Jesus, don't send us there. Don't send us to the abyss. Don't stop what we're doing. Now, remember I mentioned to you earlier, Jesus often said, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. And we know there's going to be a day when all the demons are going to be put in a place. We talk about people going to hell. We talk about the enemy being in hell. But actually, the scripture tells us that hell itself is going to be put somewhere. There's going to be something worse than hell. And it's called the lake of fire. It's going to be put into the lake of fire. And that will be the final resting place for the devil and his demons and all who reject Jesus. I want to encourage you. Boy, your friends, your neighbors, whoever they are, be ready. Your life is already a testimony of Jesus. But be ready to tell them. Because... God could use you to snatch some people out of the kingdom of darkness into the glorious light. I watched a man right in front of my eyes come to know Jesus in my office this week. I was so blessed to watch the Lord work. He bowed his head one way and he raised his head up and he looked different every way. Jesus can come and snatch us out of the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light, as his scripture says. The demons were begging him Oh, don't, don't send us into the abyss. Don't, don't stop what we're doing. Don't put us in hell. Don't put us in Sheol. Don't put us in a pit somewhere. And the passage goes on to say, there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain. And the demons implored him to permit them again. They're not telling Jesus what to do, do they? The, the devil cannot do that. He is a defeated foe. He is the, he is, uh, the old dragon. He is a serpent. He's the father of lies. Scripture calls him a lot of different things that apply to him. But he is not the ruler and master of Jesus. He can't do anything except the Lord allow it. And they begged him, give us permission. Let us go to the demons. Uh, let's go to, uh, into the swine that are feeding on the mountain. Now, why do the demons want swine? A while ago, I said, the devil wants to steal kill, destroy. He's all about death, tombs, abnormal, uh, unwholesome, 
Don't put clothes on. Don't eat right. Hurt your body. Cut. Steal. Maim. If you ask a Jew of that day what he, they thought about a pig, they would tell you real quickly. Unclean. This is one of the most unclean animals that there is. And I think it's no wonder that the demons chose to want to go in the unclean animals. Give us the unclean. We're more comfortable with the unclean. We want to live with the unclean. Think about how opposite that is from the, the parable of uh, the son who left his daddy. The prodigal son who found himself longing to eat the food that the pigs were eating. He realized, I have messed up. If I'm here desiring pig's food, something's wrong. He didn't want to be with the pigs. He wanted to go back home and be with his daddy. So the demons are begging him for permission. And notice what it said. He gave them permission. Did you ever get a permission slip in school? They had to write and give you the, the, the freedom to do something you're asking to do. So did the demons. And the demons came out. The enemy must obey the command of the Son of God. He cannot do anything but that. They came out of the man and entered the swine. It's interesting there. We see that demons could, could uh, possess humans and animals. At least at that time. They were in the man. We don't know how many, but it was a legion. And they also could possess animals at that time. They came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. That's the end of what the devil touches. That's what the enemy wants. That's his glorious victory in his eyes. I've often wondered what the devil thought on Good Friday. Now, I'm not a great theologian, and I can't surmise what all was taking place in those hours of Jesus' life, but I wonder if the devil thought when Jesus said it's finished, he gave up his physical body and his spirit to return to God and was about to be put in that grave. I wonder if the devil thought, all right, I'm all about death. I've got the Son of God, and he's dead think he tried to rejoice that's why i love every time easter comes around hope we do it again it's friday but sunday's coming just as as he might have rejoiced on good friday when jesus died what happened on easter morning when jesus was raised from the dead here these they begged him, let us go into the swine. And as soon as they did, they ran down a steep bank into the lake and was drowned. I have seen people in my life that it appears like no matter what they would choose to do in their own life, physically, mentally, emotionally, there is power inside of them that is turning them away from Jesus, turning them away from the church, turning them away from God's word. And you can do everything you can but they are on a path that's leading to destruction. That's the will of our enemy. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported in the city and out in the country. 
The people went out to see what had happened, and they came to, to Jesus and, and found the man from whom the demons had gone out. And there's three things that, that are evidenced about this man's new life. They found him <coughs> excuse me, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and he got his mind right. He's in his right mind. Sitting down at the feet of Jesus. You remember when Jesus went to Mary and Martha's house? Um, Martha's up serving and she's cooking the, the, the food and cleaning the house and getting everything ready. <coughs> Excuse me. And the Bible says Mary sat down at Jesus' feet. Martha complains that her sister's not helping. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're troubled about many things. But your sister Mary's chosen the good part. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Can you long for that day to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear the wonderful things that he'll tell us? When we open up this Bible, what we're doing tonight, we're sitting at the feet of Jesus. We're asking him to speak to us through his word, have his way in our life. We're sitting at the feet of Jesus. We're bowed down before him. He's our Lord. He didn't sit at our feet. We sit at his. And the man was sitting down at the feet of Jesus. Now notice he's not crying out anymore. He's not screaming. He didn't go and run down the cliff and he's not dying uh, in the swine. He's sitting down at the feet of Jesus. He's not cutting himself. He's not hurting himself. He's not breaking his chains right now. He's sitting peacefully at the feet of Jesus. And he put some clothes on. That's what Jesus does. He alters the will of Satan. He undoes what, undoes what the bad guy does to us, and he fixes it. He doesn't do the don'ts anymore. He does the do's. That's bad grammar. I tell you, it's getting worse. I need to quit. Jesus undoes. Undo, I can't say it now. Jesus undoes and begins to do the do's what the man had not done before. I need to quit. It's going to get worse. Now, I'm amazed at something, though. He's sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed, wholesome, appropriate again. Did you know the Bible never says you've got to come to Jesus with fancy clothes? In fact, it warns us that we don't put too much emphasis on clothes. He just wants us covered up. He just wants us covered up, decent, wholesome. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind. This man who couldn't control his thoughts before, and it would run to evil and sin and death and decay and destruction. All of a sudden now, he's thinking normally, rationally. Can you imagine he's thinking, what's happened? I've wanted this thing to happen for a long time, and I'm not sure what's happened here, but I'm not the same anymore. He's in his right mind. The Bible teaches us that Jesus takes away our old mind full of sin, and he gives us a new mind, the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, and we're able to think things the way we should, just like this man. It said he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they, the crowd became frightened. Now, if you were there and you had heard about this man, you'd probably seen him, you might have known him, you might have grown up with him, and all of a sudden you hear that this man who claimed to be called Legion is not Legion anymore. He's clothed. He's not screaming. He's not fighting. Something 
miraculous has happened to this man. Who in their right mind would not say this is a great thing? Even if they didn't trust in Jesus or, or follow him, who in their right mind would not say, wow, something great has happened? Sounds like John chapter 9, the man who was born blind. Who in their right mind would not say, oh, I don't know what happened, but I'm so glad this guy's able to see now. But that's not the case. It says the people became frightened. They should have rejoiced that the Son of God had come. The Jewish people were waiting on the Messiah. They should have rejoiced. He's here. They should have rejoiced that he has power over the enemy and all that the evil one can do is not powerful enough. They should have been glad. They should have been rejoicing for the man who is delivered from and healed from the state that he had been in. The deliverance from the evil caused the man to be sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right man, mind, but it also caused the crowd, the unbelieving crowd, to be afraid. Verse 36 says, Those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. Is there a message going out? Is there a testimony going out? There ought to be from this place too. Hey, those guys are not the same anymore. They don't live the same. They don't talk the same. They don't walk the same. Their kids don't act the same. <coughs> Excuse me. There went a message going out. Hey, this guy's been made well. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to, oh, Jesus, would you come to my house? Would you have a service? Because uh, I got more friends that need to be healed too. Jesus, would you come and live with us for a little while? We'll feed you and give you everything you need. Jesus, can I take you to the synagogue and introduce you to the priest? He'll be so glad to see you. Jesus, you've come and you did this mighty work. Would you invite this guy? Let's just have a great celebration. But the Bible says they ask him to leave. Now, it's interesting. The man who's going to be has been delivered from sin wants to get close to Jesus, and the people that don't believe in him want to get away from him. Is that not amazing? Why am I surprised today when truly we as Christians, we pray for our neighborhood, we pray for people to be saved, the lost to be saved, and many of them reject us and they, they make fun and they try to stop what we're doing even here tonight, those that would try to stop us from being able to worship tonight. And I want to go, why? Why would you do that? We love you. We'll feed you if you're hungry. We'll give you clothes. We'll give you shelter. We'll do the church. You don't want the church to be gone out of your neighborhood. And yet, they don't want to come close to Jesus. They want to get away. Notice what it says. All the people of the country, the garrisons, the surrounding district, asked him to leave them, for they were gripped with fear. Now, this isn't godly fear, because godly fear wants to get you close to Jesus. It's by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. They'd want to get away from Satan and get close to Jesus. It's in godly fear. They're gripped with fear. Some probably were upset. What do you think about the people that own the pigs? You've just destroyed my business. I don't have a business anymore. Some were upset because of that. And notice what it says. They were gripped with fear, and he, Jesus, got into a boat and returned. But the man. And I love this last part of the passage. The crowd's saying, get away from us. Jesus, you leave us. When they should have been saying, oh, master. They should have fallen down at Jesus' feet also. They said, get away. But notice verse 38. 
but the man. Y'all write a book titled that, But the Man. From whom the demons had gone out was begging him. Two different beggings in this passage. The demons were begging that they didn't get sent to an abyss. And this man's begging, can I be wherever you are, Jesus? I want to go with you. You have done a mighty work on my, in my life. You have delivered me. Jesus, wherever you go, I want to go. He was begging him that he might accompany him. But Jesus, he sent him away. He doesn't do that all, all, always. He called Peter and Andrew and James and John, you come follow me. But this guy, he said, I want you to leave. Why would he do that? Here he tells us. He sent him away saying, return to your house. Picture that. He's got clothes on at least, but probably got scars all over him. What would it be like if he knocks on the door and mama opens the door? You think there'd be a scream? <laughs> if brother or sister opened the door, if he said, I want you to go home to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. Did this man have a testimony? He did, didn't he? He had a testimony. He had something to tell. He had some good news. This man had a testimony. I see our pastor emeritus out here. Pastor Mel, I thank you for being here. God bless you. Your testimony is still alive and well. Your testimony is still being proclaimed. Your life is still saying, I want to be with Jesus. And I want to be like our pastor the rest of my life. We've got a testimony. We've got the best news ever. What if you were the one that opened that door? Could it be? Surely not. What has happened? And that man could say, gather around. Let me tell you. You don't think he was excited? Did he preach this little sermon that, you know, three points in a homily and the way? No. This man had been freed from a legion of demons. And I'll bet you they had a revival in that place. Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. Some want Jesus to leave. And some don't want Jesus to leave. Some want Jesus and get away from him. And some want to go where Jesus is. But Jesus said, no, I want you to go home. When I was young and I first got saved, I wondered why God just didn't take me to heaven. Wouldn't that be pretty cool? Star Trek was popular when I was a young boy. And what are they always doing? Scotty was doing something. What was it? Beam me up, Scotty. And I remember praying in my bed sometimes at night. God, won't you just beam me up? I'm ready to go to heaven. Man, if it's this good here on the earth knowing you, I want to go be with you. Why does he leave us here? Because we've got brothers and sisters and neighbors and strangers and people across the world that missionaries need to go. And our prayers and our support goes with it. People need to hear about Jesus. He left us here because you've got a testimony. And I just want to challenge you here tonight. Are you still living that testimony? I know you are. Are you still ready to tell others at all times? Let me tell you what Jesus has done. And the passage ends and says, So he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city. You talk about a preacher. I'd want to go hear this man preach. 
proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. This was now his ministry, his time and place. His hometown couldn't deny that testimony because it was the power of the testimony of Jesus delivering him. This week, would you dare to pray, God, would you give me an opportunity to tell somebody what great things Jesus has done in my life? There's, you don't have to be uh, an evangelist. You don't have to be a pastor. You may be a housewife and you think, what can I tell somebody? Your testimony is so valuable. You're no different than this man saying, I want to tell you I was bound and I was defeated and I was harmed and I was unwholesome and unclean, but I saw Jesus and he delivered me. We have that same. I was blind but now I see. I used to have a filthy mouth, but I don't talk that way anymore. I used to not love anybody. I hated everyone, but now I love everybody. I used to be lazy, but I work hard now. I used to not love my family, but I love them so much now. You've got a testimony, whatever it is. And somebody, somebody, you're the one God wants to use. Somebody's waiting for you to tell it. So I'm going to ask you to dare with me to pray something as we close. Would you dare to say, God, bring somebody in my life this week. Let our paths cross, just like this man, the appointment that Jesus had with this man, that I can tell what wonderful things Jesus has done for me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this passage. God, you are a mighty God. You are powerful. The enemy cannot do anything apart from your allowance and your permission. I long for the day that the enemy will be destroyed completely. But until that day, help us as believers to fight the good fight of faith. Help us to continue in the word. Help us to continue in prayer. Help us to continue in church. Help us to continue sharing our testimony, loving people well, telling others what you've done in our life. And when they ask us, why are you carrying that pallet? Oh, I used to be on that pallet and couldn't do anything. But there's a man named Jesus who healed me. Why do you have those scars all over your arms? Well, let me tell you, I used to be bound by many demons. But there's a man named Jesus that delivered me. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us. And if we were the only one alive, you'd have still done it for us. And now, Lord, I dare with my brothers and sisters here tonight to pray. Would you this week bring someone in our path that we can share what wonderful things Jesus has done in us? And we'll ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.